Hey everyone, today we're reading Mark 10 in the season of ordinary time, looking at themes of discipleship. This week, Jesus has a thunderous showdown with none other than the Sons of Thunder. <laughs> I'm Ben Kramer. And I'm Alicia McClintic. And this is the A Plain Account Podcast. This week, I'm reading our gospel lection, Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45 from the NRSV. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Now, in some versions of the story, it's... uh, James and John coming with their mother <laughs> and, and their mother comes forward and says, listen, Jesus, I need you to do something for me. <laughs> Grant that my sons will be uh, great in the kingdom. I think that's in Matthew's version of this passage. Right? Yeah, the, the first stage mom in history, you know. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which makes me wonder if if James and John are the sons of Zebedee and the th- and the sons of thunder. Maybe mom is the thunder. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, she like that's that's a little bit behind the text for the passage that we have, particularly for today. But I think like it exists in our synoptic gospels uh, kind of collection, right? Yes. And I just I just find that really funny. <laughs> it really is funny. I I always enjoy preaching that. Uh, the mirror version of this text from Matthew, because I always just say uh, when James and John's mommy comes to fight their, you know, battles for them or whatever, like a question that maybe they were not wanting to ask or what Matthew is trying to highlight there with the mother stepping in, you know, and, and asking Jesus this, this same way. Like, it's just a really interesting dynamic. It, it is. And I think it dovetails really well with Jesus's unpacking of the scenario with the whole group later when Jesus talks about the ways of the empire and the ways of these Gentile rulers that 
that lord it over, that domineer, that are tyrants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus says, this is not the way among you. You belong to a different reality. And I think simil- similarly that uh, there's the these family dynamics that Jesus is pointing out where he says, like, not only do you belong to a different kingdom and a different order of authority, but you belong to a different family, yeah. right? Like yeah. you're, you're stepping out from these previous family systems that might have certain desires for you or might have taught you to exist in the world in certain ways, either your family or your kingdom, all of those are left behind and you belong to a new way, a new order, a new relational ecosystem right right Right. it's a completely different structure of power and authority which is what has been kind of at the root of passages like this that we've discussed on the podcast where jesus says if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom you'll be the least right Mm -hmm. Uh, the greatest in the kingdom is the one the servant of all um compares it to the uh the social rank and um vulnerability of children uh, mm-hmm. And shows the disciples that way, and so the the disciples are still kind of functioning under the narrative of the kind of authoritarian hierarchy, where we are going mm-hmm. to topple over this government, and we're going to be the same thing Rome is, but we're going to be Israel. We're going to be the ones in charge. We're going to lord that power over, and then everything will be great. When when I feel like what this passage culminates and what it helps us to think about is the end result. Whereas the the crucifixion where Jesus is saying to the rich young ruler, you need to sell everything, which means, mm-hmm. you know, about poverty, this, this very stark contrast to the, the glitz and glamor and power and wealth of Rome. He's calling his disciples to a very countercultural reality. And so when, when they asked to be on his right and his left, I can't help but think of what their response must have been to see who was on his right and left at the crucifixion, which yeah. was the mag, you know, the magnifying of God's glory in the world. It was the culmination of Jesus being lifted into power, right? That, that was God's definition of, of bringing the Messiah into glory. Um, and to see that it was this impoverished uh, criminals that were on his right and his left. It was the least and the lowly, nameless people uh, mm. being being crucified next to next to him. And I I can't imagine the disillusionment of saying, oh my gosh, yes, we are supposed to seek power, but what kind of power did Jesus mean? Mm-hmm. What did Jesus mean by the cup that he's meant to drink from? Uh, and so, yes, James and John were baptized with the same baptism. They, they would drink from the same cup, yet the, the thieves on the cross were the ones that were put on his right and his left because the kingdom of God is for the least. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not for, for Jesus to decide or for them to decide. And so we have this really interesting dynamic of power and authority playing out here. Yeah, power and authority. And I also think that the other um, thread that's woven through here is desire, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, what do you want? Um, and and in, in some of the other sentences and dialogue from this passage, it 
it translates like, but whoever would be great must be the servant. All of those are the same root word of want or desire in the Mm -hmm. Greek that's like translated through. So we've got this, we've got this thread of power and this thread of desire um, kind of woven through in this passage. And it seems like Jesus is consistently reframing what power is um, and, and how power functions um, within the reign of God um, and God's people. And I think Jesus is also doing similar work with desires about the things that we want and, and ought to want Mm -hmm. um, and the things that God wants and how, how those, how those interact Right. Right. The, yeah. Yeah. Following those threads of power and desire seems like an important way to approach this text. Right. And and Jesus is living that out, embodying that in front of them for his whole ministry. Um, and that the whereas it, it the more the longer I'm a Christian, the more stark uh contrast to the way that Jesus chooses to be king is mm-hmm. to the way that the kings rule in the world, right? Um, whereas, you know, the the king Caesar would rule by the power of the sword, Jesus rules by the power of the cross. Um, whereas mm-hmm. whereas Caesar would demand conformity to arbitrary rules and laws, uh, Jesus washes his disciples' feet and asks them to join in that same posture, right, of, of service. Um, whereas uh, blindness and disability would be seen as a weakness or a less than by Caesar, Jesus comes alongside and dignifies their humanity and brings about healing that is exactly catered for them, you know, that, that, that dignifies and acknowledges their humanity. And so there's this, just this stark contrast of how uh, Jesus would rule as King. And I think that's the the desire and the question that gets so confused because it's not just the two disciples, James and John, the rest of the 10 become indignant with Jesus upon hearing this. So they're all functioning under this perception of power and authority yeah what jesus is trying to explain is like it's not that we won't have power and authority it's the kind of power and authority i've come to bring and it's cross-shaped it's not sword-shaped it's not it's not legislated it's it's a very different way of being in the world and to give them grace is hard to conceptualize it's hard to wrap your mind around it's hard to devote your entire life to something like that. Right. Exactly. Um, it's even hard to just like unpack this statement that Jesus makes, like whoever would wants to become great, whoever wishes for greatness, or we might substitute power, authority, popularity, influence, whatever, who wants to be great, um, must be your servant or the NRSV translates that as slave. That's doulos, right? Um, and, and we know from later on in the Jesus movement in the early New Testament letters, this is how the apostles introduced themselves as slaves of Christ, as bond servants um, of Jesus. And so ultimately we know that like no matter how vague or esoteric or strange this 
this command is, eventually the disciples seem to get it or, mm-hmm. or at least, or at least like adopt that kind of label and hope to live into that kind of reality. Right. Um, right. But, but that, I mean, that it's hard. It's, it's complicated. Like I, I personally am struggling with how to articulate this in a healthy, theologically sound way um, to talk about this, this servanthood, this like outdoing each other in service um, to be the slave of all. Um, Yeah. And I just feel like there needs to be some nuance around that. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm trying to, to move with this other than it's a really difficult teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think it's been misappropriated in our church teaching that like eliminates selfhood or agency in some meaningful way. Right. Um, yeah, so I just like a specific example that comes to your mind when you think of those. Oh yeah. I, I think, I think maybe one of the other things that's kind of lurking behind the scenes in this text is the idea of ambition, right? Mm -hmm. Like wanting to be great or wanting to do great things. And let's just cut James and John some slack here for a second to say like wanting to do great things for God isn't necessarily a bad thing. No. Right. Like this, this isn't some sort of twisted desire, like, like they, like, like any other things. right? Right. Um, um, there, there are lots of things that people could want, but to want to do great things for God isn't, necessarily bad jesus has to do some reframing to say like i don't think that word means what you think it means here let me show you the way um but the initial desire to want to do great things for god i i think like ought to be applauded or nurtured shaped for sure shaped and molded Mm -hmm. in the way of the cross um but i I just think particularly from my experience and then the experience of those like me that like ambition is a dirty word for women, especially in the church, yeah. right? That like, yeah. like there, there is this twisted version of servanthood that only looks like behind the scenes kind of fake humility, right? Like, so the idea that, um, that like I wanted to go to grad school and to have letters after my name or that mm. I cherish ambitions of publishing a book, like, oh, you shouldn't want that. <laughs> like, oh, you should, like, you should stick you sh- like it's that it's somehow unholy to want to do great and good things. Mm. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily what Jesus says or teaches. Right. No, that, no. Uh, and, and I, I guess what I'm just trying to say is that there's more nuance here um, that ambition in and of itself doesn't need to be a dirty word or an unholy word. Um, but, but I think really flat readings of this text treat it that way. Absolutely. I think that's so crucial um, because I, I think the crux of what uh, Jesus is saying and makes what you're saying so important is the concept of, you know, that those who are regarded as rulers. So, and I love that nuance there regarded as rulers mm-hmm. who regards them as rulers. And Jesus, I feel like that's such a subtle thing there. It's like, People, they, these are regarded as rulers in the world. 
but yeah. I'm trying to reveal how you should actually rule, right? So you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. So are you seeking to publish a book to lord it over people, right? Is your ambition... Yeah. <laughs> No, 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 right. Like, like, but is, is your ambition, where is your ambition pointed? Is it to, is it to build a platform? Is it to gain followers and popularity? Is it to gain um, impact and influence for, for your own sake to make your own name great? Or is Mm -hmm. it in service of the flourishing of all humanity, the shalom of a all creation? Is right. it in service of, of Jesus's reign of light and love and peace and justice? And yeah, the, like, those are, those are questions that I ask myself all the time. And that I think all disciples are asking that, mm-hmm. that we, we have to honestly wrestle with which ambitions need to die. Right. But I, but I don't think that every ambition needs to die. And maybe I'm a heretic for thinking that, but, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I mean, I welcome conversation about that. Oh, no, I, I think, I think it's actually central to the gospel that the having ambition, because like the, the rich young ruler that we talked about mm-hmm. the other day, he had strong ambition and Jesus looked at him and the text tells us he loved him mm-hmm. for it. That desire to be one with Christ, that's an ambition and a willingness to do whatever it took. At least he thought he had a willingness to do whatever it took, right? And then when when the ambition wasn't framed or shaped in the right way, like it takes a very ambitious person to sell all they have, Mm -hmm. right? To say, I'm going to believe in this endeavor no matter what. That is an ambitious goal. And it's not a desire to lord that over people. Like, look at how much I've sold. Look at how impoverished I am, right? Jesus was calling for a a humble uh, lifestyle. And so I really do think that it's not, ambition really isn't on trial here. It's how will you use that ambition? How will you use that drive? because what we see, I, I just preached on the Ethiopian eunuch uh, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And what really is compelling about that is he chose this, this person that's, you know, judged and criticized by the surrounding culture based on his, um, his sexuality, based on where he is as a, as a, a court treasurer for a foreign uh ruler, all of those things that kind of compiled his identity. And yet when he read about Jesus in the scroll of Isaiah and Philip was talking to him about that, he decided to be baptized Mm -hmm. because his value, his humanity was dignified. He's like, Jesus loves me, like this person here. And so like his ambition then turned towards, I want to be baptized into that kind of kingdom. Use my wealth, use my status for being a a messenger of the gospel, which is, you know, the conclusion of Acts, that it was taken to the ends of the earth. And this Ethiopian eunuch is the messenger of that gospel. And so I really do feel like that it's the, the, the selfhood is dignified and valued. It's not obliterated by Mm -hmm. following Jesus. Um, In fact, it's, it's made all it could possibly be 
in following Christ. And I think that undergirds Christ's desire or plea to follow in Christ's way, um, in his way of the cross, because we will become as completely full as what God has intended us to be. Um, Exactly. Yeah. That Jesus's way of inaugurating the new humanity doesn't erase who we are. Right, it, it, right. it redeems who we are. It, it spotlights all God has created us to be in all of our uniqueness and diverseness. Um, and so when Jesus talks about being servants or being slaves, it's not like become invisible and erase yourself and forever fade into the background like no i think jesus is talking about something significantly different in Mm -hmm. in our posture toward power um and in the way ambition and desire points us into a deeper life with god and deeper love of others this is this is something that's really key in ignatian spirituality and practice and those who have been longtime listeners will know that i've talked about this a lot i'm currently doing like a year long retreat through the Ignatian spiritual exercises. And so this comes up a lot in my personal prayer life and study. So in Ignatian spirituality, there's like a really significant attention to desire, right? And and the ways that our desires when properly formed and reformed point us toward deeper life with God, toward a, a greater capacity to love what is good, to love others, right? And and so so I don't think Jesus is in the business of erasing desire or ambition, but Jesus is very particularly pointing it toward a desire for God, God's will, God's reign, um, which, which means this like movement into new creation. Right. Um, Right. Absolutely. I think there's a, another side of this coin of ambition as well, that I think needs to be distilled just a little bit. And I think it, I, I think we need to talk about the cup that Jesus is talking about. True. Cause this is, this is a significant ambitious move and yeah. an ambitious journey that Jesus is taking toward right. Jerusalem. Right. Exactly. Like, like there, there has to be a level, a certain level of holy ambition for Jesus to, to receive this calling mm-hmm. to know I am the Messiah, the promised one, the one who will take the cup. Like that requires like a high level of holy ambition. Um, right. Absolutely. And I think it contrasts again, whereas maybe in Caesar's or the Rome's definition, or perhaps James and John, their conception of ambition comes at uh, how, how did I hear it put the other day that um, sacrifice can be framed in one or two ways. One where how many people, how many lives are you willing to sacrifice in order to achieve your goal? And Caesar is like, I'm willing to sacrifice an entire people group to achieve my empire. Right. Whereas Jesus is saying, how far am I willing to sacrifice myself? Mm Mm-hmm for for this ambition to be fulfilled um and jesus shows that by going all the way to the cross right um so it's this very different paradigm of of sacrifice um and again it's not the elimination of self but it's putting your full self into uh this this pursuit of of service to to the world that that christ embodies and sometimes i think 
when we think of ambition, even, especially in the church, that it shouldn't really cost us much, mm-hmm. um, that, that we, that we can kind of have this picture of, of ambition and sacrifice that, that doesn't really cause us suffering. And, and I think that may have been a little bit of what James and John were thinking that the Gentiles in their plush palaces and their, their wealth, they didn't seem to be suffering all that much (laughs) with all that power. Right. And they probably weren't. And so to think of that's the goal, we're going to end up there. It strips the ambition of, of Christ from any of its struggle that, that Jesus was going to endure deeply by taking on um, the cross. And, and so that, that cup, I think, is what really magnifies that for me. Um, the Greek word for ransom here, it always bugs me because I don't like substitutionary atonement theories at all, where Jesus, nope. <laughs> Jesus has to be sacrificed to himself so that he's not going to be angry at the world anymore. You know, so those, those kind of, I, I, ideologies of of substitutionary atonement there but this greek for for ransom is this it's debt language and we can't really get away from that in the biblical greek but it's it's more about how how god's generosity is wanting to eliminate that chasm like that discrepancy between mm-hmm. humanity and God, rather than like this transactional, we have to have something there to replace that. It's more of the lengths that that God would go, the amount that God would go to eliminate any chasm that's between there, no matter what's what's caused it, um, and that Jesus would put Himself in mm-hmm. in that place. Um, and so that cup then is the is the the struggle and the turmoil of having a broken relationship that sin causes that. I, I often compare God's wrath to like gravity. If you're going to jump off the roof, what's going to happen? And you, you think you're going to fly. No, you're going to fall to the ground. Well, when you violate God's inherent law of love that has been the creating force since the beginning, wrath is the natural consequences of harming ourselves, harming other people and harming creation. And we're seeing those, those byproducts all around us. And so to drink from that cup, (laughs) to take on that, that would eliminate that discrepancy is, is a bitter cup to drink. And one that we see in the garden that he's not, he's not (laughs) really quite sure that he wants to take all of that cup onto himself. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and yet we, we come back to this, mm, this idea that God cherishes ambitions for all of creation Mm -hmm. for, for humanity, right? That God's ambitions, uh, were the root of the created order that God created a good and beautiful world and in comes the forces of sin and death, but God will not give up on this like ambitious heaven and earth project. And, and I love that you pointed us to this fact that like, like, there is sacrifice and suffering involved in that ambition. Like anyone who has cherished serious ambitions in their life, whether that's at work or in, um, 
in creative projects or whatever knows that like you cannot have it all and that sacrifices must be made along the way. But that doesn't mean that you're always thrilled about it or that it's always like easy, but ultimately like those key desires and ambitions motivate you and keep you going. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think we see this modeled in Jesus, right? Like in, in the, in the Trinity's move of a good and beautiful creation, moving all of creation to new creation. And in some fundamental ways that's happening in Jesus, in his body, in his heart, in his mind, in his sacrifice on the cross, mm-hmm. um, in some significant ways. Uh, but also in all of that, there, there are, um, there are these conflicting desires, right? Like the desire to fulfill this great ambition, but also the desire to avoid significant suffering. Right, <laughs> and exactly. I, I find that so deeply relatable in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and perhaps a, a healthy theological way to talk about our human ambition being absorbed by divine ambition, divine yeah. desire, right? Yeah. That's great. I, that's reminiscent of what he says to Peter, whereas you don't have the things of God on, in mind, just maybe the ambitions is a great word to replace that with. You don't have the ambitions of God in mind. You have the ambitions just of the world or just of as of the Gentiles or humanity, right? Yeah. Well, I didn't think we would be talking so much about ambition, but I'm really glad that we did. Me too. But let's take a quick break to hear um, from a little sponsorship. Stick around after our for our thoughts on preaching and applying the text after this break. We want to remind you all about the resources on our website. Written commentaries on the lectionary passages, music, and liturgy resources. And all these resources are free for anyone to use, and we're committed to keeping them free for everyone, but they're not necessarily free for us to make. So if you want to support us in this work, we'd be grateful for any donation. If you visit the donation tab on our website to contribute, our hearts would be strangely warmed. Thanks, Ben. Now that we're back, let's talk about how we would apply this text. Um, Some sermon ideas or talking points or key reflection questions. What are some of the homiletical handles that stick out to you in the text this week? Yeah, I think that's such a good question. I like, I think circling back to how we began this conversation, where, where what always intrigues me most about this text is what is our categories for authority and and power, because it's going to shape our ambition. It's going to shape our goals, our outcomes. Um, And I, I think one of the things that terrifies me about reading the gospels is how many people didn't recognize Jesus for Mm -hmm. who he was. Right. And, And I think Jesus comes not as the, the thunderous storm or the, the high and mighty, king on a war horse with chariots and legions of angels. Jesus came as a carpenter, a peasant from Nazareth, you know? Um, and so it was a, a big, um, 
collision of categories that God came as in a completely different category than was expected. And so I want to find some constructive ways of maybe bringing into my sermon or conversations about this text with others that we can really discuss authentically what our categories of, of power are. So like when we look at examples in recent history, you know, would we say that, um, the, you know, General Eisenhower before he was president, is that our definition of power or Mr. Rogers, um, mother Teresa, hmm. maybe Coryton boom, uh, Rosa Parks, you know, are there, are there, would we call these figures powerful or would we look towards more um, definitions of power like the media gives us? I grew up with Rambo and Arnold Schwarzenegger and John Wayne. Like these were the archetypes. Um, Mel Gibson in movies like The Patriot or, you know, Saving Private Ryan. These were the narratives of my boyhood that gave me this idea of power and authority. So, what categories are we approaching the gospel with approaching Jesus with, and how might Jesus be questioning those things? Oh, that's so good. I think along the lines of how might Jesus be questioning some things? I, I think one of the places I would want to focus on is just the, the questions and statements that Jesus poses in this text, right? What Mm -hmm. do you want me to do for you? What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Um, I think I really want to sit with that question um, and then to have like an honest conversation with Jesus individually. And then I think communally, this would be an important response to this text um, to name our desires and to let Jesus form and transform those desires um, so that we are caught up in. God's mission and in God's work in the world. I think in conjunction with that, the other thing that really sticks out to me is Jesus saying like, but not so with you. This Mm -hmm. is not true among you. And I guess I'm wondering where that um, conviction might be in my own life or my own church community. Like where, where might Jesus say, but not so with you, that's not who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, again, our desires and practices might be formed to the kingdom of God and the mission of God. Yeah, I, that's, that's so good. It makes me want to ask myself, what things am I tempted to lord over others? What things mm-hmm. that I have been given by God am I tempted to use to exert my own power rather than the power that Christ has illustrated through, through the cross? And that's such a, a daily struggle, um, yeah. I think. That's, that's a really good question. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we talked about really big stuff today. Power, desire, yeah. ambition, wrath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think this is all the time that we have for today. So again, we remind our listeners to check out the website for more written commentaries for the scripture this week. And sign up for our newsletter to stay in the know. Connect with us on social media for further conversation and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and share with your friends. It really helps get the word out. 
And special thanks to all the writers who contributed this week and to Matt Ghost for our original music, editing, and production. Join us next week to meet a disciple who finally gets what Jesus is up to. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. <laughs> we'll catch you next week.